price for Friday, October 27th, 2023. Coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center downtown Vancouver. And if you're heading downtown for a game, why not make it a staycation? Don't worry about driving home after the game. Get up the Wall Center here, 604-331-1000. Matt Sikers alongside Blake Price. Gritty Sass, hitting switches, conducting things to show a presentation of Applewood Auto Group celebrating 25 years. And at the Richmond Auto Mall Infinity, you can lease the 23QX50 from 3.49% or a 23QX60 from 2.99%. Then at the Nissan dealerships is Applewood Nissan Richmond, Applewood Nissan Langley, Applewood Nissan Surrey. Finance the 23 Rogue from 3.99% because, Blake Price, it's all good. At Applewood. Bodog poll question today. Yeah, Friday fun day. When do you prefer going to Canucks games? What's your, what would you rather have? The Friday night, the Saturday night, the Sunday afternoon game at Rogers Arena? Or a night if you want, Sunday night. Vote at Sikharison Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source. Free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Is Brian White playing tomorrow? Ah, uh, he is most definitely. Yeah. Well, and if the Caps are going to be successful, you would think their striker gets one. Anytime goal scorer at plus two hundred on your Bodog line of the day. We're going to the game tonight. Yeah. In fact, this is, I believe, the second time ever that you and I have actually gone to a Canucks game together. We went with our friend Brad McDonald of Yellow Dog last year. Sure. Yep. And today we're going with our friend Piero Manetta. A little, little right, lower down. A little yeah, lower down than last time. Sitting right behind uh, in his uh, famous seats there, right behind the glass. So look forward to that. Look for us. Hope I don't get caught picking my nose or doing something like that. Mm-hmm. We've heard some stories of these seats from Piero and uh, some of his guests in the past. You know I'm going to be. As the camera pans them. You know I'm going to be ready with a gifting. Well, machine. I would expect nothing. Any clip. I would expect oh, nothing less. Please give us something. Mm-hmm. Maybe pour. What a bag were you of telling me that you Blake's were uh, nearly caught with a booger uh, on TSN Friday at the Lions game? Oh. Yeah, Reggie Bagleton um, saved me mm. doing post game interviews. He's right, like, dude, uh, hanger. Yeah, got to clean that. And up. I was like, whoa, thank you, pal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, save me. I'm firmly in the camp of Friday night. There's a different energy on Friday night. I've all, often found at Rogers Rand. There's look, there's, I believe this is the only home game on a Friday night all year, which is a little disappointing. I find there's a different energy. I, I find it's a bit of a different crowd than Saturday night. I find Saturday night you get a lot more of your season ticket holders who are there routinely. On Friday night, I think you got a lot more folks who are a little less regular at Canucks games. You know, you're heading into the weekend. I think there's a good energy about that. So I, I'm firmly Friday night, even though I know really? Saturday mm-hmm. is the traditional hockey night. Yeah. I, I just it, find like with the and, – and, you know, we've had this discussion with the Mardoman and the Lions, and we're having it around the Whitecaps. You're just waiting around all day for the 7 o'clock outing I, I is think, a little different. I think you get the long – Build up though, which I prefer. So, I fri- professionally, I prefer Friday games because I'd rather have a long day and then have the weekend off. But if I'm a, a fan, I want the long lead up, knowing I can get there extra the early, get the parking, mm. um, you know, have a, have a relaxed dinner, um, mm-hmm. 
We're going I, for dinner, incidentally, tonight I prefer as well. To, yes, but we we have a non, non traditional work schedule, so I suppose if you if you're working till six p.m. in the office downtown, you're running to have mm-hmm. dinner. Quick one, got to get out. Game starting mm-hmm. doesn't work as well. So the Blues off a three nothing win over Calgary, and then the Rangers on Saturday. This uh, and this is odd too. A back to back home Friday Saturday. Don't see a lot of those with Canucks schedules. Ilya Mikheyev is still not 100% in terms of the minutes that they would play him. And so he's not going to see a lot of penalty killing duty as they try and load manage his return from that ACL injury. He's played a couple of games. I thought he was excellent against Nashville on Tuesday. Uh, We do know the goalies are going to be split. Demko against the Blues. DeSmith, Mr. Saturday night now. Beat the Oilers on Saturday night. Beat the Panthers on Saturday night. So we'll see if he can get the Rangers as well. And I know the uh, Canucks have started to chatter and Talkit has started to chatter, and we'll see if the crowd picks up on this. Not many power play opportunities for Vancouver. 17 just over the course of the season. And on the flip side, the penalty kill, and, you know, Blake, as we talked about yesterday, we're uh, got to crawl before you can walk. And so the Canucks sitting 16th in the league, mid-pack and penalty kill at 78.3%. They're 20th in net penalty kill percentage. In fact, this St. Louis team, when you look at what derailed them, they missed the playoffs last year, finished right behind Vancouver. The first time in five years they missed the playoffs. And a lot of it was just defending. They had the same foibles the Canucks did. Yeah, They were, I think, third or fourth from the bottom in penalty killing. And the goals against just exploded last year for St. Louis. So two teams that are sort of trying to right themselves and talk it talked about that today that, you know, we play a similar style. Craig Berube and him are close and sort of have same beliefs that when it comes to the me. game. No, it doesn't surprise me in the least. Ian Cole was asked about the penalty kill. Needless to say, he's a big part of it. And uh, he allowed that what they're doing this year on the PK is kind of new. New for him, at least. Yeah, no, I think it's been good. I think it's been good. We're kind of in the a little bit of a diamond situation, which is is new for me. I've never done that, but you know, I do I do like it. You know, you, you take away the middle, you take away the flank shots, you try to recover back to the net hard and uh, and clean up those rebounds. And, and overall, it's been good. You know, we want to be aggressive when we can. You know, which is definitely the right mentality in my mind. Uh, you know, you get too passive, teams start dicing you up pretty good. So. Um, you know, it's. I think the coaches have been great. They've been spot on. Our personnel has been great. Uh, and we're just going to keep growing with it. And we've seen that aggression going all the way back to preseason. And it's been excellent. And, of course, the Canucks got aggressive last year under Talkin. And we started to see all those shorthanded goals from Elise Pettersson and JT Miller. And needless to say, they have been doing this on the penalty kill without Teddy Bluger, who you thought was going to be a key part of it. And he is uh, still week to week here. Boy, this has become a troublesome injury. Working for out Teddy Bil- ferociously in the gym, he said. Yeah. So and practicing face off. Yeah, he thinks he can be on skates really soon, mm-hmm. but he still thinks he's week to week for action. And of course, Susie missed a couple of games, and McKayev missed four games. So I gotta say, I, I I have higher hopes than 16th in the league for this penalty kill once everybody is healthy. He thinks McKayev is going to get more leash here as. As the season goes along, yeah. yeah. Uh, the other thing that is going so well for the Vancouver Canucks 
is the J.T. Miller line with Phil DiGiuseppe. And Frank Corrado, a childhood friend of Phil DiGiuseppe, is going to join us a little later mm-hmm. and talk really about their, their, their time growing up together and playing hockey together as teenagers. He's doing all the grunt work. Miller and Besser are the beneficiaries. In fact, you know, Besser might be the best story with the Vancouver Canucks in these early days. He's got eight points, six six goals in six games. Of course, the four-goal performance on opening night. Let's hear from Brock on what's going well with his unit. Oh, I think we just read off each other well. We work hard, and, and that's kind of where we base it off. If we're not you know, creating those turnovers, uh, being good on the forecheck, um, we can feel it, and we can feel that we don't get those opportunities in the offensive zone. And, um, you know, I think that's kind of where our whole game comes from. Well, and a couple of things to point out there. Number one, Bass are talking about forechecking, which is great because, let's face it, you know, when you're not fleet of foot, that's a harder job to perform. But secondly, the reads off the, each other. And the one thing that has become quite apparent watching JT Miller here for a few seasons in Vancouver, he's an exceptionally smart hockey player, particularly on the offensive end. We know he's had his foibles defensively and got, was a little too risky defensively at one point, and he's pledged to you know, be a better defensive player. And so far through six games, they, uh, they've been quite good on that side of the puck. But... He's got fantastic vision. I think there are great instincts there with Miller. So, you know, being able to read off each other and Di Giuseppe being the puck retrieval guy for them, because Brock's a smart hockey player too. You know, it's a line that got together early in training camp and didn't get messed with, and virtually everything else has been messed with. Yeah. So. No, it's. I think. Uh, I think Besser's learning to play off of the other two a little bit more. I think he's learning that if he's anticipating where to be on the forecheck, that he can be an effective forechecker. Because really, I mean, what are we talking about in terms of fast to Brock Besser? It's probably a difference of a second, basically. But if you've got better anticipation than the guy with good speed, then you'll probably get there at the same time. So it's about reading the play. And yeah, JT Miller's having a very complete season. So I, you know... The key is going to be consistency, and for PDG especially. Again, this is a guy who has never been able to crack the 40-game played mark, really. Um, Can he carry this over the course of a season, the hard work, the banging into the end boards on the forecheck? I think we're going to have to believe it when we see it because it doesn't it hasn't been proven over almost a decade in the National Hockey League for, for PDG. But it just looks so darn good, and it looks pretty easy. Like, it doesn't seem like he's defying the odds himself uh, by doing what he's doing. So um, we'll see. And, of course, the Canucks, you look at the Blues and can view them as a direct competitor in the conference. As mentioned, they finished side-by-side last year with the Blues a little behind Vancouver. In tomorrow's case, you've got a Rangers team that's in the other conference, and so... um, Certainly, if it goes beyond regulation, you can sort of let the dogs run in overtime, see if you can get a goal. And I think that's part and Mm -hmm. parcel why you're seeing Demko tonight against the conference foe. Speaking of the conference, or more specifically, the division. Battle of Alberta and the Heritage Classic this weekend at Commonwealth. Toilet bowl battle. They enter the game with a combined record of 3-10-2, the Flames and Oilers. 
The Oiler record is one point better than the infamous Canucks start of a year ago right. of 0-5-2. They are 1-5-1, three points versus the two of the Canucks of last year. What are they? 1-5-1. and one. Yeah. Goal differential combined for these teams, minus 24. Even strength, averaging 1.47 goals per game. Yeah. And, like, there's some firepower on both of these teams. Their combined save percentage right now is 877. Oh, my goodness. Ryan Rashog in Edmonton reporting that there was a leadership meeting after the game. Lots of frustration in the room, but much more so in recent games for the Oilers. Nikita Zadorov, Flames defenseman, quote, I just want to apologize to our fans. We're playing like shit right now. It's tough to watch. It's not good. And yet, Blake, and we talked about this yesterday with uh, Patrick Johnson. I mean, you've almost got two playoff spots spoken for in the West with Vegas and with Colorado getting off to these unbelievable undefeated starts. So there's six playoff spots in the West, and you've already got teams that are effectively out of it. And I'm not speaking about the Alberta sides here. Though they're not far away from, especially in Calgary's case, mm-hmm. you know, I think Edmonton, you always got to, with those two superstars, give them a chance. But San Jose at 0-6-1 with a minus 21 goal differential already. They've lost five games in a row. They've scored eight goals all year. That's worse than the National Hockey League. Oh, They've allowed 29. Believe it or not, three teams have allowed more. Their expected goals, five on five, is less than two, worst in the league. Their expected goals against is 3.45, worst in the league. Their high danger chances, goals for, worst in the league. Their shots per game, just over 24, worst in the league. Jay Fresh Hockey, San Jose is next level bad. For a team that's recent enough to remember, for some of us to remember their expansion era, and that was a pretty ghastly expansion era with some of those teams back then. The Sharks and Senators, yeah. right? Of course, San Jose got the big uh, playoff upset win that one year over yes. Detroit. So Bay led that one. Yeah, so they mm. sort of broke through a little bit and found. Something to cling well, they to. Got a, they got to import some Minnesota players over, did they not? Isn't that part of the deal when they expanded? Didn't they get some Minnesota players? It sounds so. reasonable. That sounds somewhat familiar because wasn't there an ownership? Conman ownership. Yeah. Was it Norm Green? Yeah, I believe so. Right. So they actually got floated a little bit better than some. but Right. But, I mean, we're talking about a team that went 11 71 and 2 one year. Yeah. Now, the Ducks, I, I, we all thought were going to be putrid this year, too, but for different reasons, just because they're so early in the rebuild. And they um, got a win against Boston last night. Boston had not lost a game. Behind. Regulation or overtime and, shootout. And they're three and four, mm-hmm. and they do have, they've already plugged in young stars, as opposed to San Jose, who is yet to get to the population of, mm-hmm. of the young stars in the lineup. So, um, Anaheim's better than you would have thought at three and four now out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Back to the Sharks for a sec. 2016 17 Colorado Avalanche, 48 points in 82 games. Yep. They, they could be that level bad. They could yeah. Be. Yep. 
I don't think there'll be expansion at level bad. How about 39 points and 24 points your first two years out of the shoot? It's amazing even like, and then that third year is the year they beat the Red Wings. <laughs> Best of seven conference quarterfinal. Took the Leafs to seven the, the series after that as well. So, yeah, we're already seeing the separation in the Western Conference is the point. You're not even a tenth of the way into the season. And you already know San Jose is ghastly bad. And Colorado and Vegas are incredible and are going to be tough outs in the West. And, you know, Dallas finally lost in regulation yesterday, too. So, sorry, Thursday night. There you go. As well. Grady is asking me to not say yesterday, today, tomorrow. Don't timestamp it, Matt. Don't timestamp it. To be a little more. I know yeah. it's fair enough. And yeah. we used to do that in newspapers as well. It's just uh, gotten out of the habit. That's the radio. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was 10 years in radio. Yeah. You know, anyways. Uh, moving right along. So Brian Burke says, told the Jeff Merrick show, the Sedin's draft day trades would not have gone down in a decentralized draft, that it was his ability to work the floor and work all the teams that he had to work. Interesting. That allowed that deal to come to fruition. They, and look. That kind of poo-poos the idea that this will lubricate the wheels of discussion. He's saying that. Yeah. Now, a few things there. Brian Burke may well be an outlier on this yep. because he has always been a little bit more comfortable in the public eye than most mm-hmm. NHL GMs. Mm-hmm. Number two, how often are you going to have that sort of concerted maneuvering at the top of the draft board? You just don't see it very often where a team resolves itself that we're going to get two picks in the top three. It was a one-of-a-kind one of kind deal in a to lot of facets. With, to yeah. begin with. Yeah. But it was incredible theater and You know, we've seen some good theater on the draft floor before. Now, on to Shane Pinto and the Ottawa Senators. And when we recorded yesterday, we had information, but not necessarily all of the information. I want to read some of the things that were still don't still don't have all the information. Well, and yeah, we're left to infer a little bit more clearly. Therein lies the problem. Yeah. Uh, Twitter account the Nasher sixty one. There's something to be said about getting a 41-game suspension for gambling while being forced to wear a gambling ad on your own helmet every night. Uh, Our friend Adam Wild, Steve Dangle Podcast Network. The NHL isn't giving you the full picture on Pinto because if they did, 41 games would seem ridiculous. Whenever they don't give you the full picture, it's because it doesn't suit their argument. Rachel Dory, former Canucks analyst. If he didn't wager on NHL games... 41 games is way too long. It's ridiculous. Has zero impact on the integrity of the NHL, and he wasn't even signed to a contract. Clearly, the NHL isn't being forthright. There's something else going on. Fishy emoji. Yeah. And then Jay Fresh Hockey. Sense could have caught this earlier had they simply hired Mike Babcock. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> hey, what's the, this betting app? The... Uh, I mean, so, all you're left to do is put the pieces together, as many have. Eric Macromello put, uh, put a piece out in Forbes. Again, a lawyer by trade, folks, uh, knows how to read the room a little bit on these sorts of things. But everybody's sort of arriving at the same thing. Clearly, there were bets on the NHL. Yeah. Maybe not from his hand, mm-hmm. but from his account. So what suits both parties here? The storyline that there was a third party, that it was his friend 
who had access to his betting account. Not me. Somebody now that, else. That's got to be a really good and trustworthy friend if you're going to give him the account number for your betting yeah. account. And there's three options there. It's either the truth. He's got a patsy friend who's just taking the fall for him, or it's completely contrived, and it's none of this is true, but it, it fits, right. allows everybody to move on. And this was a negotiated settlement between Pinto, the PA, and the National Hockey League, which tells me there was no friend, the friend is convenient for both parties, that Pinto was betting on the National Hockey League. That's why the league considers the case closed. That's why the league is not submitting to more transparency. And they, both they sides, just don't both, want the specter of we had an NHL player betting on NHL games. Both sides agreed there would be no appeals to the suspension. Right, exactly. And the because he's allowed to bet on the NFL and other leagues. Yeah. So it doesn't compute here, Gary. But we are at a uh a pinnacle here, crossroads, if you will, for for sport for those that are involved in sport as Newcastle player, Italian player, suspended for 10 months. Mm -hmm. Today, the PGA Tour suspended two Mm -hmm. players for betting on the PGA Tour. They're Corn Ferry members, but still, I mean, it's the affiliation. Corn Ferry members suspended for betting on the PGA Tour. I mean, this is all coming to a head here. So, well, the other thing that we're learning is that people within the game have better information than the general betting public. Right. And so the temptation is there to act on behalf of that information and see if you can enrich yourself or make a little money. So, yeah, the the reckoning is before us here. And, you know, in the case of Pinto, to get a suspension of that length, to agree to it with the PA on side, has to be grounded in a major foul here. There's no way he's accepting a 41-game suspension because he made some bets on the NFL. There's just no way. No. No. Because he would go to the league, and the PA would go to the league and say, they're allowed to do that. Yeah. This isn't a suspendable offense. No. And if, uh, it'll, let's say, uh, we, we, we do have knowledge that that sports book alerted the NHL because they're an NHL partner. If it was concerning because it was huge amounts of money, guess what? He'd be into the assistance program. You know, that that hasn't been revealed. So it, none of this makes sense. And no. they sort yeah. of don't believe that we can do the math outside of this. Mm-hmm. And that's the disappointing part. Like, they treat us as fools. They do. Because... The gaming partner going to the league, as you say, it's either because there's a lot of money being bet or because they recognize this is someone inside the NHL betting on the NHL. And this is obviously a very different scenario than the than the tape, but the one commonality between the Pride tape story and this story is the NHL just thinks that they can throw something at us mm-hmm. and we will consume it yeah. as truth and just move yeah. on. It's the shit against the wall league. It's the make it up as you go league. No transparency. It's the lack of transparency league. And it's the league that is crying out for better leadership and has been for years. You know, we just. Reactive, not proactive. Right. Okay. The big one tomorrow in LA 
Whitecaps, LAFC, the first of a best of three MLS Western Conference playoff matchup. Uh, first of all, I see this game is not being picked up by TSN. No, I believe At, game two is. Okay. It's just, boy, the Whitecaps and their fans have gotten short shrift from TSN in terms of the games that have been picked up because, you know, once again, I, several times this year, you look up and down the TSN channels, you see an MLS game with two American sides at the same time the Whitecaps are playing, and you're like, what? <laughs> you know, like, anyways. To be fair to our former employee, I believe that is just all that they're being offered. You know, they have to, they're getting crumbs well, from the from the MLS. They don't have any say, any sway anymore. Really? They nope. can't say, like, nope. you know, we're a Canadian network. It kind of makes sense that we have those. Or, can- put it but on their they, streaming That's software. why they're driving people to, to the you original guys plan. If you remember, guys, the original plan. Was nothing, nothing. on TSN no, this I know. year. So this this is you'll get what you get, and you don't get upset. Is sort I, of the beggars and the, choosers. Yes, yeah. All right. So on the Apple side, are you doing the game on Apple? Or are you doing the game on no, radio? Radio. Tomorrow? radio. Uh, so it's it's on season pass, MLS season pass on Apple. Yeah. Or you can listen to Blake and Colin on AM seven thirty. Uh, what can you tell me, lineup wise? How close to the best eleven are they? You know, we've seen the number eights have a bit of a rotation. Pedro, Ali, Alessandro, Schopf. Mm-hmm. And please tell me it's Ali or Pedro, not Schopf. Uh, I'm going to guess that it's a mixture of them both. Okay. It'll be probably one young guy in Schopf would be my guess. Um, they like to play Schopf away from home. Um, Why? I think it's the just the turf and stuff that he plays a little bit better okay. um, off of it. And at sea level, they don't love him, I don't think, at altitude either. He, he's like a veteran guy that they really love his ball control, his ability to control the pace. Mm-hmm. But the conditions need to be right for, for Schupf. Um, and I believe that they think that it probably is right for him. And then one of the other two guys probably um, alongside to add a little bit more pace and, and athleticism. And then I think for the most part it's going to be – yeah, pretty much the best that they can yeah. put out there, uh, and that Good. includes Andres Kubas by all accounts. Um, the Excellent. other the other big news is that they've already sold twenty thousand tickets for Game Two of this series, and Axel Schuster is on record as saying he is open to opening the Upper Bowl, but they need to be forced into that. So they need five thousand tickets probably sold in the next five days, something like that, six days. For them to be forced into that scenario. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, let's get at it. It's an extraordinary number of tickets to sell before your first match in this best of three. So, yep. well done already to the Caps. Secondly, something tells me that they'll go like hotcakes if you happen to win oh boy. in LA. It's the beauty. That's a chance to win a playoff series. Yeah. On home pitch. Now, when they destroyed San Jose, that one. Five buzz. That was a single game elimination, though, wasn't it? Yeah. That was not a series. Yeah, they, game, that was they a, played Seattle. I remember we went down for the game in Seattle. They lost. That was a play-in game, right? Play-in playoff game, if you will, and then it precipitated the two-legged series versus Seattle, where they didn't score. Got you. Yes, they didn't score. Yeah, we went down. We did the show at a very quiet Lubin Field, if yes. you'll remember. Yeah, and then. Um, and then the stadium filled up, and boy, did it fill up. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that was in the era when Seattle was doing massive crowds. I know they still do very good crowds, but. And they, I don't know if they got across half well, with the ball. The, the, the thing was, is, you know, after we finished the show, Carmen was down on the trip. 
we were given a couple of tickets to go sit in the stands. Mm. So we start walking to the stands and we realize it's two seats right in the middle of a very long row, right in the middle of a huge Seattle supporter section. And we're looking around and I'm like, honey, if Vancouver scores, we don't react. (laughs) (laughs) We are Switzerland. Just play it cool. (laughs) And of course... Uh, no chance of that. That was never a risk. Not with that Robo team. No, no, no. Park the bus at home. Let's get to today's menu. It's brought to you by Greta. If you haven't checked out Greta on Cordova, please do. It's a great spot to catch the game throughout the season, the playoffs. And of course, we've got a playoff game this weekend. Place to chill in the offseason as well. Frank Corrado, as mentioned, is going to join us here coming up. We'll do some hashtags, the best and worst of tour. Topics with Frankie. Uh, his childhood friend, uh, Phil DiGiuseppe, and his rise, the Hughes-Ronick pairing, those Alberta teams, and then his memories of playing with Big Zach Cassian, who, of course, uh, announced his retirement yesterday. We'll do some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, featuring Christine Sinclair, the legend, now on her farewell tour, a farewell tour that she wasn't really fussy about when it was first pitched. We'll give you that story. The return of To the People we go. We told you it was coming back. Mm-hmm. Fridays and Mondays going forward, everybody, because we want to give you an opportunity to take in the week and hit us with some hot takes and some tell me I'm wrongs on Friday, plus take in the weekend and feed back to us on Monday. So Mondays and Fridays for To The People We Go. As always, you can text 778 the great clips, text message, Inbox, 37 salons in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland. Email live at sakarisonprice.com and on Twitter at sakarisonprice. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing, Neighborhood Brewing, Workshop Spirits, and Yellow Dog has been brewing up a little surprise. Angry Otter Lager. It's a crisp, clean, and crushable lager enjoyed by dogs and otters alike. You can find this tasty brew at all Angry Otter locations end of the workday treat yourself to a yellow dog neighborhood for a workshop spirit so Harrison price from all center presentation applewood auto group hashtags the best and worst of twitter brought to you twitter.com Brought to you by Jason Hominick, Jason.Mortgage. If you have a great rate on your mortgage, still need equity out of your house, Jason has a solution. You keep your great rate. You access that equity without touching your existing mortgage. Your mortgage is up in the next six months. Now's the time to reach out. Find him. Jason.Mortgage. I've got some very um, non-traditional hashtags today for... Yeah. Friday fun day. Yeah, exactly. At ESPN. Tyson Fury is not concerned about Francis Ngannou. He's taking on a UFC fighter tomorrow. His quote on this, and it's pretty perfect, it's like a table tennis champion facing Djokovic in the Wimbledon <laughs> final. <laughs> and You were only allowed to use your fists, Francis. Um, I mean, he is. you got to be a profound underdog here. Like, profound. I watched the Netflix series on Tyson Fury, Tyson Fury at home with all his kids and his wife. and He's pretty human, yeah. Yeah, there's... there's... 
It's a big character. Yeah. More ways than one. Yes, indeed. Uh, several here on the pride of Burnaby, British Columbia, and one of the great athletes of all time in Canada, Christine Sinclair, at Jeff Kasouf. Christine Sinclair's press conference about her retirement is fittingly brief for the humble star, less than 12 minutes. She says her family convinced her to play send-off games and not just retire. At one point, she wasn't exactly on board with the notion of a farewell tour. She brought up Megan Rapinoe's farewell and said she didn't want it to go down like right. that. Yeah. Which, uh, well done, Christine. <laughs> You don't go full Rapino. No, never uh, go full Rapino. Uh, she said on the Vancouver sent off, quote, I have just told people I don't want to be surprised by anything. So please no rocking chair or some sort of gift for her before the Remember they gave Kareem Abdul-Jabbar a rocking chair? I don't they? remember that. Oh, God. Uh, then she was asked about blocking the U.S. women's national team on Twitter. They had, like, many in soccer. A post congratulating Christine on her career after the announcement and wishing her well and all those things. And then followed up that, oh, look at this. She's not going to see it. She's blocked us. So she was asked about that. She said, I blocked them and I forgot I had done it. She thought it was before the Tokyo Olympics just because of the rivalry and everything. And she said a teammate of hers in Portland, who I believe might be the U.S. captain, Came up to her and mentioned, said, like, hey, our federation went to shout you and you didn't see it because it's blocked. <laughs> she uh, would explain that it was, she's now unblocked them and s- explained it as, quote, a totally a sync thing to do, which was sort of poking fun at herself a little bit. She uh, and the competitive edge and all that. She's, again, not retiring from soccer, just international. Just international. So she's still going to be around. Uh, she also well, she posted, how about one more year yeah. with Portland? So Yeah, so that's good. We'll still see her around. Do you have another one on sync? I do not. No, know. okay. At Rogers Arena, just announced, WWE Friday Night Smackdown is coming to Vancouver on January the 5th, 2024. I know we're a sports show. This is sports adjacent. But I know that there's a lot of crossover to the WWE fans. Well, and here's the other thing. Mm. A certain guy in the producer's booth needs to be ringside and pictured at this event. Does he? Why? 20 years ago, I would have been all over this. How long ago were you uh, Oh, that was ringside and yeah, pictured? For 98. W- it was, I want to say it was No Way Out. It was the Stone Cold versus Undertaker Buried Alive match. Oh, wow. If people can remember that. I so I found some old footage of it, and you see me like, you know, eight-year-old Grady in half of the frame. My dad's holding me up. Yeah. Pretty funny. But, uh, yeah, what an event that was. My goodness. Who, um, who were you rooting for that day, The Rock or Stone Cold? Uh, it was Stone Cold first Taker. I was, I was oh, a Stone okay. Cold guy. You were a yeah. Stone Cold guy. Oh, yeah. Okay. The Undertaker and Kane gave me nightmares as a kid. I was scared of him. Really? Yeah. He was pretty scary. Was, was Paul Bearer still around then, or was oh. under- My Undertaker. That's pretty good. And it's true he's a real Paul Bear? Yeah, mortician or, or Undertaker. Yeah. I, I don't know. I can't rem- I can't recall, I've but man, was he one of the best characters to ever come out of that. Mm-hmm. 
Rest in, rest in peace. Right. At Rob Silver, who is a fantasy baseball professional. One-time liberal operative and pollster as well, but right now he's big on fantasy baseball if you follow him. The Ford Frick Award, rewarding outstanding broadcasters in baseball for 2024. And there are two Canadians on a list of 10, Dan Schulman and Jacques Doucette, of course, formerly on the Expos broadcast. And Rob says, love Schulman, but Jacques Doucette absolutely should finally win this. He literally created baseball in the French language. He had to make up French terms for the game. Like the game was not so translated into other languages in 1967 when the Expos debuted. That's awesome. And sure, that Doucette actually was part of forming the lexicon for the sport en français, to quote our that boy. That would be AB. intimidating, right? Absolutely. And Rob adds, he's as good as any baseball broadcaster in the English language. And, you know, his clips have gone viral over the years, you know, circuit, circuit, and, you know, home run. And others. What's so, the what's the what's the uh, literal translation of circuit? Like uh, well, circular home run. Yeah, Cirque, I mean, yeah, yeah. And in fact, they might, that might have been one of the terms that he had. Yeah, to I would invent think. I would think for home run because that doesn't translate. It from doesn't Homer. Very translate very literally. Yeah, funny. But can you imagine that as as a play by play guy? You're thrown in the booth. You're doing this sport. We don't know what to call these events out there. We ha- actually have to script these events and make up names for them. The only thing I can, like, I guess the, here's the exercise for a Canadian, for most Canadians at least, because we're not a big cricket country. Watch a game of cricket and just make up stuff. Oh, my goodness. And just, like, just watch it and then try to make up, oh, that's a, that's a scooter. When you get it out of the, uh, <laughs> out of the park, we're going to call it a scooter. <laughs> like, just make it up. See how well you do. Uh, it's golf's off season. Uh, we've chronicled before the Hadwins are a good, fun follow on Twitter. Jessica tweeting last night, you know we're in trouble regarding our big adventure tomorrow when Adam is making Apple notes from the instructional RV video and telling me he'd like for me to watch it too as his backup. They're going on an RV trip. Oh boy. Adam quote tweets it this morning. We've been gone from the house for 20 minutes and only made it to PetSmart and McDonald's, both of which are within a mile of the house. Not looking good. Jessica will be a must follow throughout this. (laughs) Put Jessica on notification right now. You've been told. (laughs) Lastly, for me at UBC, T-Birds with first place in the Canada West on the line. UBC heads to Edmonton to battle the Golden Bears Saturday afternoon at Foot Field. Wish Coach Nil and the Thunderbirds well, I went to the game last Saturday, Blake. They beat Regina. Very sluggish start, but they got it together mm-hmm. in the second half. I went to check out those two offensive linemen, Giovanni Manu and and Theo Benedet, who are getting NFL buzz and NFL eyeballs on them. And let me just say, a one six eight three fifty, and the other is a little shorter. I think Benedet is six six three ten or three fifteen. They cut striking figures at left and right tackle. Uh, there were several pan cl- pancake blocks, believe it or not, with those two guys. And I would suspect, after a little hiccup there, that the UBC T-Birds are back on track. Uh, my friends who watch U-Sport football closer than me say this is absolutely a team talented enough to win the Vanier Cup, so we wish them luck. I was uh, having a beer out at UBC the other night, and uh, the team was beside me at a, at a big table. And, ah. and uh, afterwards, uh, we were striking up a conversation with the waiter, 
who said that they were very well behaved and all of them ordering just pop. Oh, really? So they are they are on task there you here go. with a big game coming there up. There you go, Coach Nell. Your boys are heeding the word heading yeah. into Edmonton for the first place showdown, and that's hashtags for today. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, They've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Kia in Surrey and in Langley. Fabulous deals on the legendary Sportage. The 2024s are in. Get them with financing from 5.99%. And if you're interested in the electric revolution, how about the Nero EVs and EV6s? They are all in stock. Again, Applewood Kia in Surrey and Langley. It's all good at Applewood. Bodog poll question today. When would you rather go to a Canucks game? Friday night, Saturday night, or, well, Sunday. Anytime Sunday, day or night. You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source. Free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Bodog, line of the day from me. Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. They just beat Denver a couple of weeks ago. Beat them by 11. Now, of course, that was at home. But the Broncos go into this one with the number of players wondering whether they'll be Broncos on Tuesday come the NFL trade deadline. I'll lay seven points with Pat Mahomes on your Bodog line of the day. Joined now by former Vancouver Canucks and hockey analyst, Mr. Frank Corrado. Frank, thanks for uh, joining us on a Friday, typically Wednesdays with Frank, but no, thank you for moving dates today. It's all good. We're going to finish the week strong. I know everyone's excited for the weekend. Back-to-back games for the Canucks doesn't get much better to start the weekend. No, it doesn't. And uh, well, we're, we're asking our Bodog poll question, which game, uh, which day would you prefer to attend games Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday afternoon for a player? Mm-hmm. Did Saturday night with your generation of guys, did that still mean more than other nights? Did a hockey night game get you more up or was there a different buzz in the room on Saturday night? It's it's the buzz. And I found that to be the case in Vancouver and and Toronto. Like we, we kind of know the way it's it's two of the biggest markets and gets a lot of attention. But Saturday night is different, and I think it starts at morning skate. There's a few more cameras around. There's a few more people around. With it being a Saturday, um, I think a lot of people who maybe live further away from the arena, as far as media members, like they're willing to come in for morning skate. So it just it just feels like there's more of a, a group gathering and. Um, listen, for a kid that grew up in Canada, playing on Saturday night really, really means something. And I just thought it was so cool um, seeing the logo around the arena, you know, the, the towels for intermission, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I will say now that I'm retired and, and I watch hockey for a living, we could use a few more Friday games. Like I find I, fin- mm-hmm. I find I finish the week of, you know, whatever. Everyone's got their own week going on. Friday night and it's like there's one game or two games on the schedule and I kind of get it because a lot of teams want to play the Saturday night game I'm sure it's great for the gate and great for viewership all that kind of stuff 
And that means if teams play Friday, they're probably going to play Saturday. So they don't want to have the back-to-back like the Canucks have tonight. But there's got to be a way we can get a few more Friday night games in. I, I, I don't know. I just feel like there's nothing to do. Like, if you sit around and, and you're not going out, you put on TV, you're like, there's nothing on TV. There's no games no. on. You know, I watched three Washington Capitals games in the last week. I can't do it anymore. I, I cannot do it with the Capitals anymore. Well, we were saying in the opening, like, like it's a little less corporate perhaps on Saturday because you don't have the uh, you know guys coming straight out of the office going to the games and taking clients and that yeah. sort of thing. I mean, yeah. Maybe maybe you get more hockey fans too. Maybe that's it. I could I could see that for sure. I, I'll I'll, mm-hmm. I'll buy that argument. And you know, like things like opening night, I find are very very corporate because whoever's the most who has the most seniority, you know, within the company, whatever the big yeah. sponsors are, is like. Yeah, you know, CFO's got the tickets or CEO's got the tickets. And then as the season goes on, you know, it kind of dwindles. But yeah, it's not the middle, like, the middle managers get tickets slid yeah, around the season. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's like now it's, you know, Saturday night. It's not like, you know, you, you finish on Berard, you go grab happy hour at Cactus Club, and then you go to the arena and watch the game. It's probably, yeah, there is a little more. Uh, let's say there's also a little more runway for people throughout the day to get the engines revved up before game time. Very diplomatic, Senator Carrado. Well done. Uh, It's one of two Friday games all season for the Vancouver Canucks, November 24th. They're um, in Seattle. That's the only other Friday game. on. You know, I would say maybe it's in deference to junior hockey, which plays on Friday night, but I I don't actually think that's the case. I I don't think NHL operators think much uh, of others and other leagues when they're uh, crafting their schedule. Hughes and Hronick, buddy. Right now, the only pair in the National Hockey League at a certain uh, level of ice time that has not given up a goal together. What have you made of these two together? Do you remember, did you guys watch The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan thing, that documentary? Oh, of course. Who didn't? Do you remember the security guard that he kind of gambles with before the games? And he goes like... (laughs) (laughs) That's how I feel. That's how I feel, you know? (laughs) feel invigorated by this you know i was talking about it last year a little bit and mm-hmm. i even talked myself out of it a little bit going coming into the season i'm like i think the way things are going susie got hurt you got to spread things around i don't know if they're going to be able to survive if they put all this talent on one pair team's playing well man they're four and two they're ahead of the oilers ahead of the flames like doing well in the pacific and this pair has been really good and I've kind of been paying attention to Canucks Twitter and what's going on out there. And I think a lot of people feel like Quinn Hughes has been slighted in the East with the media about his defensive game. And, you know, if you watch the Canucks on a day-to-day basis, you kind of realize this guy is not only like elite, elite offensively, elite with the puck. He's out there. Like he's out there when they need a stop, when they need, you know, when it's a critical time in the game. There's a lot of trust there. And Heronic, like his ability to play with Hughes and not just have to defer everything for Hughes to do on the ice, I think that goes a long way. Like he's not just he's not just dragging himself along. He's right there with Hughes. He adds another element to that D pair. And it's been I mean, it's been great. Like if you're Rick Talkett, you can't wait to put those guys back on the ice. It's like get them out there. No problem. I know I can trust them with the puck. I know they're responsible without the puck. And I think that's that's just always the number one thing when it comes to defensemen or deep pairs. How much trust can you gain from your teammates, from your coach? And those guys have a ton of it right now. Very, well, 
Very different style from from Nick Lidstrom, uh, Quinn Hughes is. But is there a lesson to be learned there for Quinn to look at a guy that didn't have to use size and physicality to be strong defensively? Uh, like there very few, uh, you know, elite defensemen didn't have size going for them as well. But Nick Lidstrom never needed to use that per se. Yeah, you know what? I was funny. I was having this talk with someone yesterday. And we were talking about football and the comparison came up between Patrick Mahomes and and Josh Allen. And the the point was that Patrick Mahomes, he has the razzle dazzle in his game. And we see that, right? And Josh Allen, it's like he wants to do that way too much. And the difference between guys guys like that is there's one guy who does the simple things like savagely well. and And that's the base. And they always do that. And then they throw in a little sprinkle of the razzle-dazzle from time to time. But that's what you remember because you remember that highlight reel. But you don't remember the whole foundation of the game previous to that where it was like just very strong, very within their means, like very foundational kind of stuff. And I think with Quinn Hughes, he kind of falls under that where, you know, we see the spinoff, we see the spinorama, we see him, you know, bring the puck up the ice with so much speed, so much conviction. Um, but the one that really sticks out for you is that highlight reel play at the end of the night. We don't realize this guy did so many simple things really, really well, and it kind of goes unnoticed. Um, and Lidstrom was like that. Like Lidstrom was 100% like that. And, you know, you, you play defense in the NHL. There's a certain amount of physicality that you probably need to have. But if you can make up for it with your skating you know, no one really gets on the wrong side of you. If you can get make up for it with your stick, like you disrupt a lot of things, you have room. Like you have room in the budget as far as your six-man decor for a couple guys that do those simple things with the puck like we talked about really well. And they just do enough. They do enough on the other side of the puck where it's like, yeah, that guy doesn't need to run around. That's not his job. But at the end of the night, puck's not going in his net because he either has the puck a lot or he disrupted it enough on the way there. And like Quinn Hughes does the simple things very, very well and just sprinkles a little razzle-dazzle. Well, and what I love about it, Frank, is after that Canadian division year where he was not very good defensively and admitted such and said he was embarrassed by it and said he was going to go change it is, you know, if you watch that season, there were a number of instances where just the physics of 5'10", 180 cost him. And now he just doesn't seem to get in the situations where the physics of 5'10", right. 180 Which is Lidstrom as well. Which is, and, and Chris yeah. Tanevi a little let's, bit. Yeah. Let's, also like, let's also point out something with where the Canucks are at. Defensemen are going to look very good when their goaltenders make saves. And Thatcher Demko has been outstanding. I think Casey DeSmith in the games he played, it's been very good. Like, think about what they were thinking of going into the season where, you know, it was going to be maybe Spencer Martin, weren't sure, Archer Seelovs. Now they have a legit number two into Smith playing behind Thatcher Demko. Both those guys have been outstanding. And you know what that does? Like, it just buys your team a little bit of time within the game, right, in a 60-minute span to say, okay, I made the save for you. Now the star players, you can get your your wheels under you. You can get going. Or like we saw in Nashville, it's kind of like, that second tier of guy, whether it's Mikheyev or DiGiuseppe scoring goals, like it just buys you time throughout the game and throughout the season when you get a save for other guys to get on the board and you're like, perfect. Like we just needed that and now everyone looks good because the D-men aren't, you know, in the video room. We're not pulling clips of guys getting burned because the puck's not going in the back of the net. 
all is good. So, I mean, if you, if you kind of ask me, like, it, it's, it's both. You know what I mean? Like, Quinn Hughes is playing great. Heronik's playing great. It's nice to have great goaltending behind you, and the Canucks have that. Now on to Heronic, Frank, because here's the one here's the one concern. Some would say there's a greater game afoot. Um, he has been marvelous beside Hughes. A lot of guys can be marvelous beside Hughes, or at least look good. Um, they've got to resign him after this year. He's needless to say already an expensive player who's going to get more expensive. RFA, not UFA, but nevertheless, uh, is going to get a pay bump. You have to see him anchor his own pair before you pay him. No? I, I think that's a fair statement, right? It's, and especially, I think it's also fair because if you want, if you think this team is going to not only make the playoffs, because we know that's a goal of this team, but ultimately there's a longer-term goal. This team wants to compete. It doesn't just, it can't just be for the next 10 years, yeah, we're just trying to make the playoffs. Like at some point, you have to turn the corner and say, we're trying to compete. Like we're legit this year. For that to be the case, Philip Heronik will have to be one of those guys because you're going to have to fill out a roster and he's going to make a lot of money or you know more money than he's making now. You would like to say, okay, you did great with Hughes. We know what that looks like. Can you turn our second pair into something where it's now we're, we're really strong with a top four. We throw you over the boards. We don't have any issues with trust and whoever you're playing with. Just like you talk about with Hughes. Luke Shen looked good with, with Hughes. Uh, Chris Tanev, as we all know, looked, looked outstanding. Tyler Myers, listen, I'm not going to get into Tyler Myers unsolicited. Um, we know kind of where that stands in, in, in the marketplace. But there's been times where, you know, Quinn Hughes can bring Tyler Myers along, although it's not like a long-term solution. What I'm trying to say is, Heronic, if you're going to make, I don't know what the number would be right now. I haven't really, like, delved into it very much. If it's $6 million, whatever. If that's the case, then you can't just be the auxiliary piece. Like, you have to be... The, the, the headline piece on that pairing at some point. So I would imagine at some point in the season, you know the way things go. Injuries happen. Guys aren't playing well. There's going to be an opportunity that presents itself where it's like, show us what you got. Like, show us what you got. I don't know who the player would be, whether he's playing with Cole or he's playing with Susie, whatever. But show us what you got as far as headlining your own pair. There's uh, a... Uh a different school of thought to where this team is at. Um, last year, so dreadful out of the gate, 05 and two, a chance to have five wins instead of five losses at the seven game mark would represent a profound turnaround, but that's only within that own scale. Doesn't necessarily mean you've launched and are ready to contend, but of course, everybody around them looks like a disaster right now in the Western Ooh. Conference, and in particular yeah. in the in the Pacific Division. Now, I doubt the players are looking at that and taking a whole lot of uh, wind underneath their wings because it's far too early for that. But uh, us on the sidelines, we can certainly point it out and say, wow, not only are they just better in relation to themselves, but in relation to the other people that we thought they'd have to compete with, this is a huge head start here, Frank. Um, do you think it's gone, and not, I don't mean gone to the players' heads in terms of they're overconfident, but do you think they're? it's so marked that they can't help but notice it? For sure. Like, when, when Edmonton is near the bottom of the division, how do you not notice that? And the fact that they're not even scoring goals, like, they get shut out, like, last night. They're letting in seven to Minnesota. 
Like I'm, I'm trying to picture what the conversation would be like. If you walk into the dressing room, the standings are up every day. So you know who's where. And there's going to be conversations with guys, the guys that are a little more into hockey. And they'll be looking at the Oilers and saying, yeah, you know, I'm surprised, but those guys will find a way. They'll turn right. it around. The Flames, I have feel, I have a feeling guys would be looking at that being like, dude, that's what I thought they were last year. And they didn't make any changes, and they're the exact same team. I actually had to do a little research into this uh, the other day. I was doing Sports Center, and it was like, what's ailing the Alberta teams? And it was funny looking into it. The slot area in and around the front of the net is the sticking point for both teams. For the Oilers, defensively, it's a disaster. Now, their goaltending hasn't been good, but they are giving up so many chances from the slot area. They are dead last or second to last in that area. And the crazy thing is, as far as shot attempts go, they're actually quite good at suppressing shot attempts. So that tells me that the attempts they're giving up are prime locations. So it's, it's crazy how easily teams are getting to the front of the net for them and their D-zone coverage. Like if I'm Jay Woodcroft, I can't wait to go back to like my old D-zone coverage. I know they changed it this year. It's not going well. I think that is more fixable than what's going on in Calgary because Calgary is the same issue as last year where they actually generate a decent amount of shots on net. They generate a decent amount of shot attempts, but they get next to nothing in and around the front of the net. So the slot area offensively has been a huge issue for Calgary. The defensive side of the puck is more teachable than the offensive side of the puck. Like the off, the offensive guys are gifted. They call them, they're gifted for a reason. You can teach defense. Like coaches can coach you and teach you that kind of stuff. If you don't have it offensively, you just flat out don't have it. And I'd be a little more worried if I'm the Calgary Flames, but I'd be pumped if I'm the Vancouver Canucks. Because the brass tax, wow. the brass tax of it is, is that the the more you separate now, I mean, you've got a, like a, a get out of jail free card of a four game losing streak that doesn't cost you your spot. Like it, it, it's yeah. it's just math at this point. It's great. Take full advantage of this while it's happening because I don't think like. I just can't see the Oilers being this bad for that long. I can see Calgary being exactly what they are. Like, yeah. this is not a small sample size with them. And how about Zadorov calling out his teammates, just calling them all selfish individuals? Like, listen, that's the kind of stuff that you, maybe you'd like it to stay in the room, but who knows how many times that conversation has happened in the room. And now he's like, you know what? Screw these guys. Like, I'm just saying it. And But that now is the thing. It's like everyone's watching him. It's like, hey, did you miss your check there? You can get the puck out there. Like, what's up with that? So you, you might put a little bit of a little target on your back internally. Hey, Zadorov with what he said about his teammates and Russia this year. I mean, he's he's Michael Corleone, godfather, too. He's settling all accounts here. Nikita <laughs> yeah. Zadorov. And you see the Husker quote, too. If you're waiting for Huberto or Kadri to win you the game, you'll be waiting for the rest of the season. Like, you know, Ooh, there's. Whoa. Yeah. Ooh, Ten and a half boy. million a year you should be able to win your team a few games. One would think. One would yeah. think. But, you know, you, you pay a winger on a career year. You know, with they were a desperate. lot of contact. They were yeah. desperate. Yeah. Um, speaking of offensively gifted, I was just looking up the 2008-2009 Von Kings U16 AAA Minor Midget Program. Oh, it's a fabulous program. It's churned out the pros. Well, how about four NHLers on a U16 team, including our guy here, who led them in scoring 15 points clear of a fellow named Bill DiGiuseppe. Hey, 
Really cheap. And great and response. First of all, hey. the number of Italian names on this team is striking. <laughs> so is the fact Corrado Di Giuseppe, Ryan Spruill played some games with Detroit and uh, the Rangers, and Jordan Bennington in goal. So you've known Phil for a long time. Long time. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. As I'm a, a friend, fan. as some, as a friend, as someone who's known him a long time, how do you feel for him? Have you, have you had a chance to catch up with him here? since he's turned into a cult cult hero in Vancouver, skating second line with Besser and Miller. So, yeah, we've known each other for a long time. We played minor hockey. We had a couple summers where we happened to train at the same facility. So we've known each other from there. I'll tell you what, man. I've been a big fan of him, like, just as a person, as a player, for a long time. And I am so happy for him and his family. Like, it's not often you see a guy really grind it out in the minors as a tweener guy and then make it to the NHL at 30 years old. And he's done great. And all he's done his whole career is just work his nuts off. I don't know if we're allowed to say that on this program. You are. But that's like, that's what he does. That's what he does. And he had a lot of skill at a young age. He was always one of the, you know, one of the better players in our age group. You could always see that he had that, like, he had that mind for the net. And at times when we were younger, he was really small and he grew like that junior kind of age because he he decided to go to Michigan. He was drafted by Niagara. He was never going to go there. I think he was a smaller guy at the time. He grew in like two, three years and just turned into like a man and then went to Michigan and like almost resurfaced from there. And I remember guys like in our area talking, you know, like DJ Zeppi's doing great at Michigan and we're all really happy for him because we knew he had the mind for it. We knew he had the game for it, but he was a smaller, little more slender guy. I, I, I just, I'm so happy for him because he, he just, he, he comes by it honestly. He's worked incredibly hard his whole career and here he is now. Um, I love it. I love, I love that he's in Vancouver. He's doing great. Yeah. And I think Rick Talkett is a great coach for him because he will appreciate the kind of effort that a guy like that puts in day in and day out. There's a guy who will never take a day for granted in the NHL, and I think that shows in the way he plays the game. Yeah, all summer long when we were sketching out forward lines for the Vancouver Canucks, those that were without Di Giuseppe, the first thing I said was put Di Giuseppe in there. I didn't see him in the top six because you knew Talkett loved him, some some Phil Di Giuseppe. And then the other thing, Frank, and you know we've talked a little bit about uh, this this week is, you know, it's obviously not the same story. Alex Burroughs, which is a, was a much bigger underdog, undrafted, coming from the ECHL, but he found his niche doing the spade work for offensively gifted teammates. Yeah. And Phil is doing all the spade work for Miller and Besser, even when he doesn't get on the stat sheet or even when he doesn't get in on the goal with the second assist, you're finding Phil doing good things that help lead to the goal. So the unselfishness is commendable uh, on top of the late bloomer story. That's what we do, man. Vaughn Kings, you know what I mean? Like we just have, we have a certain culture, you know, you talk about teams in, in programs, whether it's the New England Patriots, the Boston Bruins, the Vaughn, Kings, okay. yeah, Vaughn Kings under 16 program. There's just a certain way we operate and we do things and we churn out, you know, we churn out good athletes guys but we, we 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 turn out good people and that's first yeah. and foremost uh, right. we were saying yesterday too his his hockey card is an interesting one like you don't see a guy with eight seasons of 30 nhl games like usually the nhl decides for you after three or four of those seasons you're either in or you're out yeah. and, and he just keeps on grinding out and getting to 30 odd games but never beyond i think he might get beyond uh get beyond this year speaking of your junior hockey days you cross paths with uh, 
a couple of newsmakers this week. Well, one newsmaker, one guy who gets uh, latched onto it. Zach Cassian retires this week. Um, and you cross paths with him in the Canucks organization. You played against the guy that left the organization in that trade and Cody Hodson. You, you got You got embroiled. You have tentacles all over yeah. this news event. Yeah. You know what? Uh, I remember playing against Cody Hodgson my first year in the OHL. And that year, like Windsor was really good. They had Taylor Hall and Ryan Ellis and Cody Hodgson played in our division in, uh, in Sudbury in the Eastern Conference. I remember after that season, people would ask me, like, who's the best player you played against that year? I'm pretty sure my answer a lot of times was Cody Hodgson. Like, he was outstanding. He was really good. And I think, like, the way he played at the World Juniors, like, he just became this, you know, hype machine, this kind of, like, Canadian World Junior hero. Um, It's really unfortunate. Like, you know, we kind of know what happened with his career and the injuries and the back and all that kind of stuff. Um, but man, he was, he was the real deal. He was such a good player. Um, and Cassian, like you just look at that time, you know, the LA Kings were having success playing a certain way. The Boston Bruins had had success playing a certain way and Vancouver wanted to kind of pivot. And it was a great opportunity for them to bring in a guy who was a first round pick with some pedigree who kind of had that, um, you know, had that profile to his game. Man, Cassian's a funny guy, man. I we, we, I had a lot of laughs hanging around him, for sure, whether it was on the plane or, um, you know, at meals around the dressing room. He could run hot, for sure. Um, but there were there were a lot of times where, you know, you leave a conversation with the cast man, you're like, man, that guy is such a beauty. What a, what a <laughs> funny, like, they don't build him like that anymore. And, and I don't know, like... I, I don't know if they're ever going to build him like that again, but he, and you know what, give Cass a lot of credit because we know what he went through in, in his personal life. And, um, you know, he's, he's, he's taken steps to, to kind of get on the other side of that. So good for him, all the power to him. It was a, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure to share the same dressing room and same ice as Zach Cassian. I, I was going to ask Frank, did, did you know he was fighting stuff when he was here in Vancouver? Did well, you know there was some trouble? You, I don't know. If, I don't know if you could say that you knew there was trouble, you know, you just kind of, you know, you, you kind of see certain, I don't know if it's behaviors or, or, or whatever, but, you know, people like to enjoy themselves, if you want to call it that. But I just, you know, you're, you're, you're so kind of like invested in your own game, your own life. And, you know, you, you see mm-hmm. whatever, you just kind of like observe people. And you're it's like, just oh, snapshots. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, you know, yeah. It's a little bit here. It's a little bit there. And, and, and that's kind of it. Like, you know, I, I say this, like there's a lot of things that can happen in a room or, or within a team. And you're like, I don't even know that happened unless someone told me, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, but at the end of the day, he's, uh, he's done a, an unbelievable job of, of, you know, kind of rectifying whatever was, was ailing him in his life. And uh, good for him. He was, uh, he was a pleasure to be around even on, yeah. even on the fiery days. Yeah. And he went on to uh, have some terrific seasons there um, after the incident in Montreal and after the trade to Edmonton. Marvelous stuff, Frank. Thank you for this. Have a great weekend. We'll catch up Wednesday. Yeah, you too. Enjoy the back-to-back Jacks. Oh, to the people. To the people. Yes. Let's go to those people, shall we? I have to go to the people. I missed the people there. It's been a long, frustrating time for people here. To the people we go. See, we told you we would bring back to the people. Didn't take long. Here we are, end of October, back at it. With your segment, not just on Fridays, but on Mondays as well, as we unpack the busy weekend. Yeah, exactly. 
And it's brought to you by new friends at Finning Cat. And thank you for getting aboard. If you're heading to Edmonton this weekend for the Heritage Classic, get ready for an unforgettable experience at the WestJet NHL Fan Park with Finning Cat. This is located at the Edmonton Ice District. It's your go-to destination for family-friendly fun where you'll meet hockey heroes. Friday from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m., Saturday from noon till 6 p.m. Plus, swing by the Fitting Cat booth for free swag, a chance to sit in heavy-duty equipment, the WestJet NHL Fan Park with Fitting Cat. Visit fitting.com slash heritageclassic. And Cat is a proud partner of the NHL. Get us going. Speaking of proud partners of the NHL, the Great Clips Inbox. Uh, Let's go to basketball field Canucks. D, Ride Hughes and Roenick 28-30 tonight. Cole and Susie, play them on the right side. Uh, Says basketball field 15-20 in the combination of Juleson, Friedman, and Myers for whatever is left. Play your best players. Ride your horses, so to speak. It's clear the depth is in NHL quality, so playing them like it is is foolish. That's one way to look at it. I'm open to this as well. Like I'm, I'm open to seeing if that if that mm-hmm. works. And well, and other than playing one of those lefties on the right side, I think Talkett and the coaching staff is open to this based on you know what he talked about defense by committee. But the four best defensemen are what Phil has you know outlined here. So Cole and Susie are probably the three and four best defensemen on the Hero- on the Hirona Hughes pairing. Matt on YouTube says, "I voted yes that they'll last the season because it's too good a pairing not to be leaned on for several minutes per game, even after Bear comes back, unless they trade their first rounder for an impactful top four guy. Uh, that's also quite presumptuous on Bear, but a lot of people are assuming that Bear is in the offing here. They still have to create space for Bear, yeah. though, as well. Uh, Brian, with the tell me I'm wrong. Plus, he's a right-shot defenseman who's going to be ready at the time of year when teams are kind of, like, look at the auto senators here. Yeah. Shabbat, Zub, Brandstrom, all out. So you're going to have more teams that are so defense-poor by December. Is someone going to give Bear a two-year deal? Right. He's got to look after number one. That's himself. Mm-hmm. Tell me I'm wrong. A little hypocritical suspending Pinto when a league-approved gambling company is the title sponsor oh. in their uniform. Brian, don't get us all started. Talked but, about it off the top. There is a lot amiss with this NHL suspension. It is. Uh, Pinto. Yeah, it is very, very. Another one from Hassan Burnaby. Tell me I'm wrong. Hoaglander always plays better in the bottom six, plays a simple game, mm-hmm. and gets to the dirty areas, plays too fancy in the top six. May very well be the case. That's a decent shout. And finally, from Cam and Cam Loops, when I was a kid, my dad would take the radio out of my room at bedtime because I'd stay up till midnight every night to listen to Don Taylor's late night sports grill. He didn't know I had a secret backup radio, so I never missed the show. Sorry, Dad. Congratulations, Donnie, BC sports legend. Boy, we you know we're getting old when Cam's nostalgia is for a post-sports page era mm. sports grill on CKNW. Right. Why grill again? Because uh, you grill somebody with questions, so he thought it was a great play on words. But it's Don. He doesn't grill people. <laughs> uh, Quinn Hughes. And where you rank them amongst the league's top defensemen. This from YouTube. Joe says, at this point in the season, according to NHL league leaders, Hughes is number 14 in the top defenseman stats list, but stats aren't the only measure of his worth. As far as his overall skills, consistency, work, ethic, and leadership on the Canucks, I put him top five. As the season progresses, I'm hoping he'll have the best year of his life and be a candidate for the Norse. There's no reason why that shouldn't happen if everything goes right. Agreed. 
Dustin says, I can't make a convincing argument for anyone other than McCarr being better than him. Hughes is an ice tilt machine. The whole game turns downhill for teams when he's on the ice. He's an actual monster. And Mitch says, easily top 10, arguably top 5. McCarr and Fox are the only locks. Then it's a debate about Yossi, Carlson, Hedman, Hamilton, Darlene, Haskinen, McAvoy, and Hughes. And that's the thing. is, it, is And we said this off the top uh, when we started discussing this uh, a couple days ago. It, it, like This is when you're slicing it so thinly. But as a whole, I really agree with the contributor that said Makar is the, Makar is the only one who presents a, a discernible difference night to night. A I definitive. Think. Yeah. yeah. Everybody else is effectively in the same tier. Uh, on Tyler Myers, Doug responding to our interview with Rob Williams says, Myers seems to make Susie look bad. They try to make plays that are not there. I, I have wondered this myself. Susie has historically had some trouble with zone exits. Myers, as we know, can be the chaos giraffe. I'm just not sure that's a lasting pairing, despite the fact you love the you love uh, the idea of two you know big guys like that rangy. who should presumably be right, be rangy, be able to affect more space in the defensive zone. But it's when they get the puck on their stick. And Myers has got straightaway speed, but we know he doesn't turn well defensively, mm-hmm. right? So um, you got to be careful that you got two big aircraft carriers right. to, to turn. On what to do with Tyler Myers, Cheddar Pleasure says give him 8 to 13 minutes. Devo says 6-7 can scale like the win as a good teammate. GMs get blinded to those qualities and forget he's an absolute abysmal defender. And then we'll end on this one. A tell me I'm wrong from Paul. We'll be talking about a Besser trade before we're talking about a Garland trade. He'd look mighty fine as a third-line winger on a contending team. Oof. I mean, he's been so good so far early in the season, you can't imagine the Vancouver Canucks without him once again. That all said, management was trying to trade him at one point. He rescinded the trade request, but as we all said, that doesn't mean that management still can't shop him. It's still a significant contract. And look, if you're out of it by the deadline, I would suspect that you're going to hear more talk about Brock Besser and potential trade fits. Uh, alas, 4-2 and two going into this weekend, so long as you're maintain a re- uh, maintaining a record like this, I suspect you don't hear anything about Besser on the trade block. But he's got a pretty big cap hit as it stands, Matt. Would you rather have a 25 to maybe 30 goal winger or a surefire right shot number four defenseman. And I think right now you can make the argument they've got enough forwards on this in this organization. I think you could still stomach a Brock Besser trade if it gets you that defenseman. Oh, I I, I think if a top four right shot defenseman is on the table, then that's absolutely a deal that you make because, you know, Brock is a good player, but as we know, he's a limited player. I don't think he's winning a Rocket Richard trophy. I really don't. Well, he's not that level no. of goal scorer, right. and of course he's so, not a great skater, and he's not the best defensively, although there have been times in his career where he's been a heady enough player to be. He's a nice player, but do you need it? No. So if he, if, if the right trade comes uh, along, I think you yeah, have to look at I it. I mean, you say that, but you know, Joshua's got one goal in six games, and it was the night everybody fattened up against Edmonton. 
Garland's got two points in six games. Beauvillier's still seeking his first point of the season. Nobody, they aren't playing with JT Miller and Philly. No, I, 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 so I, well, you get different opportunity. Boy, how about that sentence? <laughs> They're not playing with JT Miller and Phil DiGiuseppe. Like DiGiuseppe's the heater. You play with Phil, you get better. Well, he's the free, the the puck freer, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right? It's important to, to the commenter's point, though. At the moment. You'd think teams would probably be more interested in Brock's goal scoring ability right now than oh, what yeah, uh, for sure. Garland's given. Yeah. This is Carson Price from Wall Center presentation Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great clips. Gonna be great. Let me get an early start here on E's and O's because it's the playoffs, exclamation point, Jim Mora. We're not giving away one pair of Lions tickets for the West Semi. We're giving away two. Boom. Text hashtag Lions at 778-402-9680 for your chance to win. We'll pick a couple winners next week, announce on the show, and send you to the West Semi, Saturday, November 4th, 3.30 p.m. kickoff against the Calgary Stampeders, and we'll give you a food and bev voucher and a gift card at the team store as well. Now, football south of the border, mm-hmm. a huge opportun- opportunity for the Seattle Seahawks this weekend, who will be wearing those glorious Royal blue 1990s throwback uniforms. Brian Bosworth there. Cortez Kennedy. Love that shade of blue. Wish they would go back to that shade of blue. Yeah, you know what? The, the, there are other the silver color, helmets. Gorgeous. The other color palette had its day. It was hip for the time. But now it's cool again. Like all fashion yeah. comes back. I don't think there's any shame in it. No. Like I don't think it's a shame in flip flopping. Like it stands up. It, if you it said was, even your kid texted you about this, yeah, not really. A diehard NFL fan is like those Seahawks jerseys are fire. Mm. They're bringing in people. So here's the app. Here's the opportunity at hand. You're home against Cleveland. San Francisco playing a good team in Cincinnati, and with Brock Purdy and concussion protocol. So. An opportunity to get to five and two. Yep. The 49ers may be five and three, which means you take over the division lead. And here's the thing Seahawks have had their bye. San Francisco has not. 49ers go on their bye after this week. And it's going to be tough next week for Seattle. You're in Baltimore. Ooh, and they're a good team. The way they're playing right now, Lamar. Well, oh, and my they gosh. may, and which brings me to my next point. Baltimore is one of the teams rumored to be loading up here at the deadline. NFL trade deadline Tuesday. Already, wow. Pro Bowl running back Dalvin Cook has already requested a trade from the New York Jets. He just got there from Minnesota, but running back by committee there. It's a reduced role. He's frustrated. DeAndre Hopkins postponed an event he was doing in person in Nashville because, uh, well... He may not be a member of the Titans. There's talk that Derrick Henry, the fine running back with the Titans, is going to head to Baltimore because Baltimore can't keep running backs healthy. That's been proven. 
Jerry Judy, the receiver in Denver. In fact, there's a number of Denver Broncos who may well be playing their last game in blue and orange. Jalen Johnson, the corner in Chicago, and then the pass rushers. Daniil Hunter in Minnesota, but who knows? Minnesota probably thinks they're in it now after beating San Francisco. And then it would apparently take quite a lot, like maybe two first-round picks to get Brian Burns, the fine edge rusher, out of Carolina. But they're winless, and of course, they don't own their first-round pick in next year's draft. They traded it to Chicago and the Bryce Young uh, to move up and draft Bryce Young last year. So, Any offensive lineman for the Seahawks? By any chance? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure there are guys out there. And as we've talked about, Blake, like the NFL is a lot more fun with trades these days. There used to be very few trades in the NFL, let alone blockbusters. And deadline wasn't really a thing. I mean, it's early in the season, and you didn't see a whole lot. So it could be a lot of fun next week after this weekend's games at the trade deadline. Meanwhile, speaking of Baltimore, Mm -hmm. offensive lineman Kevin Zeitler has beaten every team in the NFL except for the Arizona Cardinals they played this weekend. If the Ravens win, he will be the 17th player in the last 32 years to have a victory over every team in the NFL. There are four quarterbacks on this list, gentlemen. Four quarterbacks who have beaten all 32. It's not enough just to beat the 31 and not include the not team that you Not necessarily active? So these are guys. Uh, none of them are active. Okay. So these are guys who have beaten all 32. So the career one-team guy is not on this list. Who are the four quarterbacks to beat all 32? Tom Brady. Right. Um, Eli Manning. No. He only played for the Giants. Hmm. Right, you got to beat your own team. You got to beat the team that you dra- that Peyton. draft. Peyton is another. Um, Russell Wilson? No. Nope. No, he hasn't beaten the Seahawks, has he? Uh, hmm. Interesting. Matt Ryan? No. Nope. And the other two are interesting because you think of them with just one team, but they, in one case, one guy had one previous stop. In the other case, the guy had a couple of stops. Brett Favre. Brett Favre, Brett Favre yeah, is yeah. one. Of course, went to the Jets in Minnesota, so was able to beat yeah, We need an expansion the era. Is, he, sort of is he recent? He's recent. Yeah, retired recently. Um, God. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Like, he's synonymous with one team in one city, but he did begin his career oh, somewhere else. Oh, Drew Brees Very with good the Chargers. Brady. Very good, yeah. Brady. Ah. Once upon a time, Drew yeah, Brees was a Charger. Makes sense. And, of course, once upon a time, Brett Favre was an Atlanta Falcon before he was a Green uh, Packer, but I don't believe he beat many or any no, teams as, no. a, as a Falcon. Errors and omissions. Oh, no, yesterday's poll question results. We asked him uh, the Phil, uh, Phil Perona-Quinn Hughes pairing. Will it last all season? Yes or no, people said? People said no. Percentage? 71. 65. Tight on YouTube, fifty-one forty-nine mm-hmm. in favor. Of yes, yeah. Mm. It's interesting seeing the differences in the YouTube votes, huh? It's a different, very audience. different audience. Mm-hmm. A little more old school. It's a little more old school on YouTube, which is pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. Errors and omissions from yesterday's program, and uh, there are several. 
I had Canucks practice at UBC. It was at Rogers Arena. As mentioned, uh, I mentioned we're giving, a, giving away a pair of lines tickets. It's two pairs. And then you brought us the proposed team nicknames from the... PWHL. Right. And we were like, what are the connections here to all these singular uh, right. team names? Yes. You said there was at least one connection. It's explanation. There, were, there was a, a women's hockey team in Ottawa back in 1915 named the Ottawa Alerts. Now, we don't have the etymology of so why they call themselves Something the Alerts, alert. yeah. but it, at least this one would be a reference to them. Okay. So there's historical grounding in at least that team nickname. Yes. The others were, was it Montreal Echo? Yeah. So people put this into ChatGPT and asked ChatGPT to generate nicknames. They were infinitely better <laughs> than the actually creatively one, creatively uh, arrived upon ones. Oh, let's hope that was a leak. Let's hope that was a trial balloon. Yeah, here are our team names proposed. Uh, yeah, I don't see a lot of merch being sold. Montreal nope. Echo. Nope. Let's get to Blake's Bodog line of the day. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Who you like, what you got? Uh, LAFC and Whitecaps tomorrow. Richie Larea's trending upwards. Very noisy match last week versus LAFC. Um, I don't think he's going to be garnering two PKs like he did uh, last week. But what about striking? He, you know, he's only got the one Whitecap goal so far. Richie Lurie to score pays a plus 900. On your Bodog line of the day. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us and Rinkwide wherever you get your podcast. Blake will be in with Jeff tonight on Rinkwide. I'll be in with Jeff tomorrow. Follow on social, Insta, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. I should say, Blake will be in with Jeff on Friday. I will be in with Jeff on Saturday. This. Thank you. Just to clarify, mm-hmm. yeah, whenever you're listening. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.